I've been diving in a few other things and and just enjoying my rewatch. I had I did not get the I have not gotten I have not received or I have not looked into getting a book yet, but I do want to buy one because uh, a few other things jumped in front that I had to buy. I've thought about buying, but I'm not going to because I'm trying to go in cold. So yeah, that's sure. that's better. You stay away from it. <laughs> See, I feel like Andy just hit me in the nose with a rolled up newspaper. Yeah, stop it. You stay away. Get away. What did you do? Where am I? The Voyager cast. Who are you? The second in command. What do you want? To cover every iteration of Star Trek. I will not watch Voyager, Enterprise, Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy, or Discovery. My life is my own. By hook or by crook, you will. I am not a prisoner of your podcast whims. All right, you want to do the prisoner? All right, then. The Village People, an exploration of the prison. With Paul Spataro, Dave Pascarella, Bill Robinson, and Andrew Lamb. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Village People, a look at the classic 1960s Prisoner series starring Patrick McGowan. I've completely forgot where I was going with this. Oh, right, okay. For the purposes of this show, two people have seen the episodes and the full series before, and two people are prisoner virgins, experiencing this classic television show for the very first time. The experienced handholders are myself, Andrew Leyland, and are you still a doctor, Dr. Bill Robinson? Well, actually, I'm uh, number 69 now. <laughs> classic. Uh, the virgins, in this particular case, are Paul Spataro. You told me you'd be gentle. I will be. And Dave Pascarella. I feel like I'm on Fantasy Island for some reason. We haven't got a tattoo. Well, but we oh, come close. <laughs> this very... Wait, well, that again. I've done that again. The, this second episode, because I keep forgetting that we did a preamble episode, will be discussing the very first episode proper of the series entitled Arrival or The Arrival, depending upon which books you read and all that stuff. It originally aired in... It originally aired on ITV on Friday, the 29th of September, 1967, and was first broadcast on CBS in the United States on Saturday, the 1st of June, 1968. Over here in the UK, it commanded 11 million viewers. Do you think they spoiled it on the Internet? I do not think that they did, no, because I don't think that the village would allow information out Mm -hmm. before it is officially ready to be released. That's what's quite interesting about this. I have got Andrew Pixley's book, The Complete Production Guide to the Prisoner, which came free with my copies of the DVD. And the fact that it's got the... uh, Broadcast dates for the UK and the US is great because I love insignificant, unimportant stuff like that. It delights me to have things like that. Arrival was filmed in September, October of 1966. So this was being filmed uh, like about the time that Gene Roddenberry was putting together Star Trek. or but, but when Star Trek first heard? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, true. The, the first episode was written by George Mark Stein and David Tomlin. 
and directed by Don Schaefer. George Mark Stein is an interesting character in regards to prisoner history. He is the guy in the opening credits that Patrick Magoon resigns to. That is George <laughs> yes. Mark Stein. George Mark Stein and Magoon have both at various points throughout time claimed credit for the creation of the prisoner. It is my opinion that both of them did enough to deserve co-credit creation. And without either one of them, the show would not be what it is. It is certainly true that Patrick McGowan certainly took over the production of the show as we went along. And the last, I think I want to say six episodes did not involve Mark Stein as producer. But I certainly don't think it would have been as good a show without Mark Stein's involvement to start off with. David Tomlin went on to be first AD on a number of Steven Spielberg films, including Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, as well as writing and directing a number of Jerry Anderson shows for UFO and Space 1999. I've heard of those. Maybe we should do them next. Mm. I was going to suggest that. (laughs) So, uh, getting back to, so with George Markstein, and I'm sure we'll discuss this as we go through the series, um, could, could it be said that as Patrick McGowan took more control, is that, well, how much of number six, how much of the prisoner is Patrick McGowan in that, you know, he he takes over the series much like not, not number six pushes, you know, and he's trying to get off the island and gain more control in in his surroundings and then Patrick McGowan tries, you know, you know, takes more control in the real world of the series. I just, just like a parallel, just just throwing stuff out there. I, I think that's that's a very logical conclusion to jump to. Um, number six is birth date. Yes. Yes. In this yes. Episode. That is Patrick McGowan's birth date right down to the time. <laughs> the character was born. <laughs> Uh, the whole point of the prisoner came about, as we mentioned last time, when McGowan had tired of doing Danger Man, but also because he once asked the producer of Danger Man, how come you get the final say? And he replied, well, Patrick, that's because I'm the producer. And Patrick decided he wanted to be the producer because he wanted the final say. I think it's certainly fair to say that the look, the design of the show, the feel of the show is down to McGowan. I think a vast majority of the premise comes from Mark Stein. Mm. Even though McGowan has said that it did come about from his interest in where do spies go after they decided they've had enough. As with as with like Stanley and Jack Kirby and Stanley and Steve Ditko, I don't think it's as cut and dried. Whereas you can clearly say Gene Roddenberry created Star Trek, but Gene Kuhn added an awful lot to what we think of as being Star Trek. And Dorothy Fontana created an awful lot about Vulcans. Star Trek doesn't exist without that one person. Whereas I think the prisoner's birth is very much that of two people. I mean, feel free to email in if you disagree with me. If you've got other information, but that's we, we will have to develop reading. an email address, by the way. We will have to. Yeah, this is um, this is based purely on what I've just read in Pixley's book. I think the show isn't the show without both of them, even though one of them went on to have more control than the other. 
Right. Its origins is a shared thing. Yeah, I think so. There is also the the question of whether this is John Drake mm-hmm. from Danger Man. We went into that in more detail in the last episode. I personally like Patrick McGoohan's explanation. When asked, is it John Drake? He replies, no, he just looks like him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do just, I mean, again, as the person who isn't familiar with the series, and I'm trying not to do too much of a deep dive even into information because I feel like it's going to spoil Information. Inform- Sorry, <laughs> anytime anybody says the word information on the show, I'm going to have to do that. I okay, apologize. I'll keep that in mind. You'll, uh, you'll figure that out next time. It's, it's as if I said the word <laughs> Genesis, right? <laughs> but I, I do... I find the whole concept, and we we kind of talked about this last time, but I find the concept of a spy who has all this information and, uh, you know, what what happens to him when he decides he doesn't want to be a spy anymore. And and honestly, I think the simple answer is he no longer lives. Uh, But uh, but this this is definitely a more interesting way to go. Hmm? You still have valuable information that they just haven't gotten to yet. So you can't just kill them. At what point, you know, like maybe once you you think you've extracted everything or you've broken a person and gotten everything you want out of them, well, yeah, then you could kill them. But <laughs> but but nobody sees this coming. You know, like James like, Bond. Bond doesn't sit there and go, oh, Felix doesn't write anymore. He doesn't send a Christmas card. Well, yeah, you, might, you would think you would think you'd see the older spies slowly going away like that and think, hmm. No, because older spies <laughs> often become, you know, M or, you know, they get one. But they, they don't. They drop the digits and they get a letter. Q, M, F, whatever. Well, what, is, what would the life, in all seriousness, the lifespan of a spy be? And I mean the lifespan of, of the employment. The life, I don't think the life expectancy of a spy is to retire. Okay, but, but, but like, somebody, somebody who is somebody who is extremely capable. And, you know, it's James Bond, and he stays alive for a long time. It's even and, even somebody like novel. that, how long is he? How long is his career as a spy? Five years, maybe. Yeah, in the novel for Casino Royale, because everyone forgets that Casino Royale, the book, is not James Bond's first mission. In the novel for Casino Royale, Bond is pushing forty something, I think. And he's already at the point where they are expecting to pension him off. Double O agents aren't expected to get to, I think it says 45. Either they're dead, which is normally the way it goes. If they happen to make it to that point, they are considered over the hill at that stage and pensioned off. But crucially, they're given a cushy Whitehall desk job. So they're kept busy in the industry. They're not just retired but they, they are no longer double O agents. So in the novel for Casino Royale, he spells out what happens to them when they reach a certain age. But you're right. By, by certainly by the mid 40s, they're expected to be pensioned off or no longer with us. Yeah. Roger Moore is the exception. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Roger Moore is the exception. Because Roger Moore just didn't want to get off the stage. And, and, and thank you, Roger Moore, for that. Mm. Good for you. All right. Should I do the synopsis and then we'll crack on? Sure. Do we want to? Do we want to? I don't think we did. Do we want to talk about the intro, or we'll do that after you do the synopsis? I'll do the synopsis, and then we'll we'll talk about everything. Because once we start talking, we leap into other subjects, don't we? Yes, we do. So, 
Right. All we're doing for the synopsis this time is I'm reading the synopsis again from Andrew Pixley's book. I don't want to do a deep dive sentence by sentence explanation of all 48 minutes of every episode. The joy of the prisoner is a lot of what do you bring from it at the end of the episode. So basically, they're just the log lines from TV World. Are we going to before we do the synopsis? Are we going to do prisoner news like we did for Star Trek? There is no. Next. Okay. Well, as an alternative, we, we should yeah. do that every week. Just say that there's no new news. Yeah, there's nothing. I mean, we could talk about other. Well, we'll get maybe we'll do that at towards the end of the show. Oh, has um, Blaine sent us anything? Uh, I think he has. I'm gonna have to look. Yeah. Okay. 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 I, you know, right. I, totally, I totally forgot that segment. <laughs> Sorry, Blaine. Uh, hmm. Let me see what we got on that. But go ahead. You right, do, well, you why do, are you doing that? You do your the thing. TV world synopsis. Vapor hisses through a keyhole. The occupant of the room passes out and then, returning to consciousness, lurches to the window for Earth. But it's not the familiar London view he knows so well. His eyes stir out at a village he has never seen before. A beautiful village, architecturally puzzling and difficult to identify, with the sea in the background, mountains stretching in the other direction. It could be anywhere, anywhere in the world. I like that synopsis. Don't give anything away. That's a synopsis? That's that's (laughs) what it says here, and I'm going with it. And go. Okay. The opening credits to this one, as Bill has already alluded to, are significantly different to what you will find in the series, to the point where you're humming the theme if you've seen it before. And the musical stings are in the wrong place because it's a considerably extended opening. And all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. Well, that's longer than it should be. Oh, wait, that's right. There's a lot more of him driving around London. Yeah, you will see. And being followed, yeah, and then being followed. Yeah. Uh, I love the bit in these particular opening credits that we never see again of him paying to get into the car park, and he doesn't bother waiting until he's he... lifts up. <laughs> yeah, he, he drives around. His car world. just drives around. His lunch is seven, which is a kit car. And the thing, remember when I sent you from my uh, my car park at work? Yeah. I sent you the sign that says way out. And I didn't realize, like, the way outside is not in the later credits. But that is what I always remember, the sign that says way out. Just from this one episode. Yes, because yeah. that's uh, – yeah. So you and I have discussed that there's so much that happens in this opening, like, three minutes, that this today would be, like, a whole episode of a show, him retiring. But you get it. No words – all music, all done in camera. You know what's going on. This guy, this guy is determined. He's pissed off. He, you know, do you notice that he breaks the uh, breaks the saucer on the table? Yeah, when he when he smashes the table. Yeah. Why is there two saucers there? Uh, maybe he was offering him a drink. Oh, okay. Okay. You get the impression that the guy behind the desk knows he's coming in. Which, which as you said, know why. Which makes it's, you think they're constantly monitoring him. Well, they are, as we will mm-hmm. see 
later yeah. on in the episode. So comes in, puts the envelope down, walking back and forth. They have cues when he strikes the table of lightning strikes, you know, of thunder. <laughs> Storms out. He looks all happy. He's driving through the streets. There's a there's a hearse following him. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can as well notice the people in the hearse and the hearse itself are seen later on in the village. In this episode? Yeah. Yes. You see them later on. Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. So then he gets to his flat, runs inside. He's all happy. He's packing. Looks like he's got some brochures for holiday out in some islands or something. And all of a sudden you see this, you know, the the rather uh, the caretaker go to the door. And then all of a sudden now there's a lot of uh, goofs there because there's there's no actual keyhole on that door on the outside. But yet there's a keyhole on the inside. But eh, yeah, whatever. Creative license. Let it go. Gas comes pouring in. And um, he goes woozy. He looks out the window. He sees London. Although I didn't see Big Ben, so I don't know. He could he could have been anywhere. Right. Yeah, could have been anywhere I, in the world. That's right. I mean, and, it does say Buckingham Place on the where he lives, the street really. So it's kind of a clue. I I got I got things with British names around here: New England, New York. Yeah. So uh, falls down on the couch. Goes to black, comes back in. Wait, we have the. You know, the slower theme now. Then he opens the window and it's the organ music, which is going to be totally different for the rest of the series. You know, and we'll never see this opening version again. So at this point, that's when it becomes the episode. It, It doesn't end for the opening credits to finish like were in in america when it heard there would be a set of commercials which is interesting i do wonder where the first commercial break would have been then hmm because we don't have commercials after straight after the opening credits so i wonder where it went off on cbs what did you think of the opening newbies i thought it did a real good job of kind of giving you the tone I mean, you kind of have an idea of what, you know, the series is going to be a little bit, you know, coming into it, uh, or at least I do. And I'm sure a lot of that is just because it's been out so long. If it was 1968 and I was sitting here, uh, I don't know that I would know what to expect. But, uh, you know, it, it gives you, I think, it, like I said, it kind of sets the tone for the series. I think the fact that it's doing all of it without any dialogue is a real plus. I think if this had been an American show, there would have been a narrator. Um, yes, and I think it would have taken away from it, too. Yeah, I know. I think I think this, this was better for the way they did it. Um, so, so, you know, I, I, I watching the opening, it... Uh, it made me look forward to seeing more. I I, I liked the opening as well. Uh, I got I liked it started on a thunderclap, which kind of shows you possibly the volatility or the anger of the character zipping around. Now I, I have a question. I always have a question. <laughs> Questions are a burden to others. <clears throat> answers are a prison to oneself. <laughs> We, uh, for everything. 
we only watched the one episode that yep. we previously covered. In the other program, when he would go see his boss, is there ever a, a shot of him going down a long, long corridor like we see in the opening here? Or Not that I just... remember. Because in Danger Man, normally the show began in media res. He was already on the mission that he was doing. They didn't normally bother with that whole briefing from M thing that the Bond films did. Danger Man normally got straight to the to the story. Okay, no, I was just uh, I was curious. Uh, you know, you know what vibe I kind of though, in all seriousness, did get off of this. The opening of Get Smart, where he's driving <laughs> well, I, around <laughs> Washington D.C. and I think uh, sixty-five. I right, And walking down the long hallway, the only thing we didn't get was the phone booth at the end. But I thought this was a very effective opening to the series. Sets everything up. I got a kick out of the way they X out his photograph with uh, the typing and then have it dropped into a file. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you put the publicity no, still from Danger Man. Yes. Yeah. As if nobody ever physically goes there in person. Well, with the higher res um, things that we have now, unfortunately, you can see the backdrop that that only goes back. What would you say about six feet in? Yeah, you, you can clearly <laughs> see where the map painting is now. Yeah, which is a shame. But I'd never, I never thought of that. And all the times I watched this, I like that idea that Dave just said that that room is purely automated. Mm-hmm. That your, your, your agents that have resigned are in a room that is not accessible by human beings. And that's a great idea. But that's what's great about this. I've watched this loads of times and that never occurred to me. Which is one of the interesting things we're watching it with somebody who's never seen it before. 1965 to 1970, Get Smart TV series. Right, so Get Smart was after this. Um, the, the thing with this one, this is very much of, of a type um, of the kind of pilot where it is literally just setting up the show. There's not really a story to this one. No, it's it's the series of vignettes going from yeah. situation to situation. Getting an, feed, an the field of the village. Yeah, which there's, I, there's no, this is where you've got the indestructible car from and now you're going to go on missions every week. There's none of that to it. It is literally, this is our main character. He's been dumped here. Away we go. And he's trying to test the boundaries, see where he's at. You know, it's, it's, it's all confusion. Hmm. Does it, does it at all remind you of very Orwellian? Yes. In fact, it's funny you should should say that when asked what the inspirations and everything, the only inspiration McGowan has ever quoted for this was 1984. Yeah. Well, it definitely has that kind of, overarching feeling to it uh, you know you talked about how there isn't a mission in this one and that that brings two things to mind to me you know one we're talking about like the narration in american stuff uh you know you, you see how how they did it like in mission impossible they always have to start off with explaining to you exactly what's going to go on for the rest of the episode basically so this mm-hmm. way you're not confused as you're watching it uh, but as as a newbie to this it didn't feel like there wasn't a story going on. It felt very much like there was a story going on to me. Uh, you know, you, you, you're getting a feel for exactly what's going on, you know, wh- where he is and what, what 
this life is going to be like and the uh the frustration of it uh and also you know the level of uh deception that's going on so i thought that was a really cool aspect of it uh there was never a point where i felt like you know okay get on with it i feel like we were right into it immediately i i think this is still quite fast-paced a lot of people complain about the the pacing of stuff from the 60s and the 70s i think this was still they still moved they still rocked along see i thought i thought it was slightly slow paced but i thought the slow pace was called for i thought the slow pace was what you know allowed you to kind of jump in you know to to get the development of this I, you know I, I did feel there was a little bit of a slow burn going on where everybody else around him is just so calm and laconic and he's you know he's feeling frustrated so it's like he's going at a pace that's twice as fast as anybody else around him hmm. so you know, yes he, he does feel like he's uh humped up on caffeine and everybody else <laughs> is taking a bunch of no-dose pills yeah so so the pace of the story is slow but his personal presentation is not. And I thought that contrast is, really worked well. It is because everybody else is of the body and follow the wisdom of Landry. Yeah, that's almost <laughs> what it feels like. Everybody else yeah. is just kind of like, you know. Come to the village, friend. But and, and then you're sitting there, you know, again, you know, I don't know where this is going to go. But you're thinking there must be other people there who are in the same situation as him. They didn't set up this whole village of people just for him. Uh, or at least, you know, I don't, wouldn't think so. So, you know, are these other people, you know, of a, of a mind where they've become indoctrinated and, and they just accept it now? Uh, you know, is there anybody who's still looking for a way out, you know, to, to live their life without being controlled? Uh, so, you know, I feel like there's a lot to learn and, you know, I don't know how much we're going to learn. This, this is a little frustrating, like keep them flying where, you know, I know we're only getting a, a small number of episodes when all is said and done. Uh, and, and I know, you know, we're not going to get all the answers we want, but I'm really curious to see where it's going to go. And I'm happy that we're going to have an opportunity to explore a series that I'm way, way behind on when I should have watched it. It is so nice to be able to um, go down this this road with the foreknowledge, and you guys don't have it <laughs> because we should. <laughs> but you know, we're not going to give anything away because Andy, that would be telling, wouldn't it? It would. Yeah. See, I, I feel it, like it would be it would be nice. Now I'm doing the editing of the show just to pull back the curtain. Uh, if and since since I'm doing the editing, I can't have this knowledge. But if, like, if it was Andy or Bill doing it, we could have a sequence on the show where Dave and I sign off, and then the two of you do, like, a spoiler aspect of it. And at this point, we had to stop from laughing because they were so wrong. Because they're so they were stupid. <laughs> so I, 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 think, I think, you know, what, what, I, what I'm going to ask you two to do is, if you, if you don't mind, uh, get, like, a legal pad or something and keep it around mm. you. And when the series, when, when things develop that we, you know, when we say something that's going to become critical later or that's going to become important later or it's going to be disproven later or whatever, uh, make a note. And when we get to it, bring it up, because I think that would be kind of interesting to hear. I uh, actually will do that right now. And you've already said something that I will make a note of. Ooh. Okay, well, you do that. <laughs> Paul I, I is the only stupid. Thing to keep in mind. No, no, no. There is, Patrick McGowan has said. 
that this is one of the most overanalyzed TV shows in history, and he hates that <laughs> because he he literally wants you to take from this what you want to take from it, which can be considered a cop out, but that's entirely up to you. But also remember the thing to take into consideration is this is a 60s show, so it isn't lost. They're not setting up mysteries here that down the line you are expecting them to pay off in that traditional way. Mm-hmm. You will learn who number one is. You will learn where the village is. All of that stuff does come out. Whether you like the answers, <laughs> that's that's up to the individual viewer. Yeah. I like him running around Port Marion in the opening stages because it is really lovely when you've been there to be able to say, well, if he just goes down there, he can get out. <laughs> <laughs> there's a car park a screenshot. Right yeah there's a screenshot i sent you very early on where literally they've just got the camera position so you can't see that the road angles around and just round there is the car park for you to be able to go out so there's little bits of that that are funny i love the scene where he goes to the guy in the the general store mm-hmm. and asks for a map <laughs> so he gives him a map and he goes i want a bigger map and all he does is literally give him a bigger map but it was in color. Oh, yeah, it was in color. So that's so he gets to see that the sea's blue. All of that. The mountains. The mountains. The beach. Yep. The sea. The old folks' home. home. Um, and where, where you buy all the goods, milk, chicken soup, there's no branding. <laughs> now, in the... Um, in the shop, let's 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 talk about the shop for a second. When he comes in, the the innkeeper is speaking uh, some type of Eastern Bloc nation, yeah. Plant. And then the guy easily switches back to English or yeah. to English for number six, whom he doesn't even know or does he uh, anything about. Um, well, is is there an expectation though that they know when they're going to get a new arrival though? Possibly. I mean, there's a question of how deep do, like, how informed is everybody in the village about the the new arrivals in the village? Hmm. Although it's such a small amount of people, maybe he obviously would stand out. Well, you know, he would stand out because he's still wearing his black suit. Yes. And right. also his confusion and all of that. See, to answer Paul's question, I think a lot the implication in the show is a lot of them are fine with this. Mm-hmm. If you play ball, which is one of the themes of the show, in my opinion, again, I'm always going to couch with that because you may have a different opinion, is that if you play ball, life is very comfortable for you. And they've fun. accepted that. Yeah, it does. It does seem life. that way. They they all. But you know what it. <laughs> Uh, I guess this is actually fitting. Uh, when you when you see the people around, it all feels it feels like you're in a senior citizen home. Uh, but I guess you know if they're all retired, it, that that fits. Yeah, uh, and see, one of the things that doesn't make sense as you go through it all is there are an awful lot of younger people in the village, and you're like, well, how did they get there? Yeah, because he's running by the bikini clad girls later yeah, in the, the uh... two girls playing with the with the ball. Yeah, the girls running the taxi. Speaking of her, so. But this is where I was going with the shopkeeper, but then I remembered I was slightly incorrect with what I was about to say. That, but it's more prominent the be seeing you with the shopkeeper. Yes. The the taxi driver lady says it too. Is be seeing you in English? 
euphemism or 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 like thing um or was that just say be seeing you at the time he uses it quite a bit in danger man he just be seeing you i think that might have been more of a just a 1960s 1960s from from what i vaguely remember i haven't gone back and watched all the scott appell kteh san jose intros to these but i kind of remember that the be seeing you is a little more diabolical in that he's because here in in the shop the guy is holding it up like it's a camera like be seeing you like we're watching you well yeah and also the implication is that of course he's going to see him he's not going anywhere well oh yeah true (laughs) the sign the sixth sign with the eyeball that you're referring to magoon robbed that from his religion just as nimoy did with the vulcan hand greeting that is an old christianity sign for the sign of the fish but he he gives it that sinister meaning that they put it to their eye and say, be seeing you like you're not going anywhere. It's a telescopic thing. But it also, if you hold your hand like that, it's the number six. Ah, yes. I think that's reading into it a little bit, because why would you all I don't know, Paul, each other with a I, six? I don't think but. we've ever stunned... Dave and Paul both in the silence at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the the scene in the taxi with the young Chinese girl, If you, one of the things I love doing with old shit like this, particularly with Hitchcock films, I love doing it with Hitchcock films, is why in the middle of a location film is a line of dialogue on a soundstage and then the back on location and then the back on the soundstage. What's the logical impetus for that? And in the mini moke scene where the taxi girl is driving him around, Another thing to look for in old films is if you can't see the actors actually speaking, something has happened in the edit. And you don't see them have this conversation. The point of view is all through the front of the taxi. So you're Mm. seeing the village. The conversation is in voiceover. And apparently that's because this was one of the scenes that was heavily cut down from the alternate version, which was significantly longer. So there's a lot of dialogue of explaining the village and who the village and the people who live there. And it's basically boiled down to it's very cosmopolitan. You never know who you'll meet. You know, I always felt that that scene felt weird. Like there should have been more to it because she's like, well, I can only take you as far as this. And then there's suddenly the rides over. And I'm like, yeah, well, that was pretty sure he could have walked. But he wouldn't know where to go. But yeah, yeah, that that, That, that scene is, is heavily edited in post. Why did you speak French? Oh, we're very cosmopolitan here. I thought you might have been a Czech or a Pole. So there's so why, different Why did you speak French? Why not? <laughs> I thought so, you so, might be Czech or Polish, so I spoke <laughs> to you in French. So it does beg the question, is there only one village? Or are there different villages around the world? Mm. Yep. He gets a phone call from a man who lives in the Green Dome, who only goes by number two. Another post-production thing. Did you notice Guy Dolman is not in a lot of the location footage? Yeah, he had a cracked rib. So he had to leave early, yeah. So they had to significantly rewrite the middle of the episode to it was originally number two showing him around. And because he wasn't available and had to leave because of the pain he was in, they had to significantly rewrite that. So it's just Magoon wandering around on its own. And which it still is, works remarkably well. Which might explain why he had, which often number two will have an umbrella, but he was probably really leaning on that umbrella pretty hard, I think. 
Yeah, and also, but you notice when he's given the announcement, his face is hidden behind the megaphone. Mm-hmm. That's not Guy Dolman. So speaking of the megaphone, this is our first. Um, what did you guys think of the? Well, it does. It isn't given a name, but we will tell you the name of the bouncing ball. The bouncing ball's name is Rover. Yeah, Rover no. is only referred to in name by one in one episode, isn't it? Yes. Is I it Skip so. Side Man? I think so. I got to say, the, the bouncing ball special effect was the one thing okay. on the show that kind of just no, no, no. grown a little. Hold on. You would have been worse because when you read into the original effect, yep. of Rover, I think this is brilliant because yes. the other one sounded terrible. Yeah, there's, there's some stills available online if you want to have a look at it because at filming it just didn't work. It was like a it was like an actual construct with a guy riding a bicycle inside it with flashing lights on it. Oh, this is so much. This is so much. It's, it's simplicity. Yes, it is. It is batshit crazy and silly that you're being chased by a weather balloon, a sentient weather balloon that'll suffocate the crap out of you and knock you out. But it's but it's simplicity and it's so. The way they can control that thing, and obviously it's through high-powered fans, I'm sure. But I mean, maybe you can lead more to that, Andy. But I just think it's so simple; it's brilliant. I love Rover because you do think that it's bouncing ball. It's stupid until you literally see it smother something to death, <laughs> and then you're kind of like, okay. But the thing is, get used to that footage of the person being smothered. Yeah, you can see that. One. They never film <laughs> another one. <laughs> Every time somebody gets smothered by Rover, it's that anybody. Funny. It doesn't matter who it is. Yeah, male, male, female, doesn't matter. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. So it's a Hannibal oh. era background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yet Ben Bill's right that the the mechanical thing they built didn't work, and they had to come up with a solution on set, and that's what they came up with. And I love Rover, and I I wonder if Rover is there because I just accept that Rover is there. And I've never really sat and thought about how dumb it is, because it is. I mean, whoever thought a giant balloon could be menacing? Yeah. I mean, it's stalking him when he's when he's at the at the helicopter. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? But, oh, all right. You can get in there. All right. Uh, I love the aesthetic of the Green Dome. I love that the show is so quintessentially 60s and yet timeless at the same time like the big round chair that number two sits in the the chair <laughs> that they sat opposite him is clearly a dentist's chair yeah i i don't think that was meant to be uh you know i think it purposely was a dentist chair to make you yeah. uncomfortable and for torture mm-hmm. so you know i love all the lava lamps and the which were new, which was yeah. such was new yeah. So yeah. you know, we, we te- heck, I have three or four in my house right now because it's so you know. You, so did you guys notice the lava lamp, or did you think, oh gee, you have a '60s a lava lamp? I, I noticed but, there were quite a few of them, but they were brand new. They had only been out like what one or two years at this point, so it yeah. was like the new thing that people would not be so blase about nowadays well it's not like you see lava lamps everywhere you go now well you do in my house (laughs) (laughs) 
Guy Guy Doman's quite a good introduction to what number two is going to be like. They were all dressed the same. They will all have the black coat, the turtleneck, and the scarf on. Normally with the umbrella. Mm-hmm. How long have they been watching it? <laughs> Very well. It seems <laughs> since he was a child. Yeah. Or at least they went back and got that those pictures. Because they didn't know his time of birth. Or did they? <laughs> well, he says the time of birth is missing, yes. And he gives them... So he freely gives that information. Yeah. But one would imagine that's on his birth certificate. So you do wonder why they don't have it. They know what he eats for breakfast. You know, because it's under the plate. Oh, I believe you have two eggs with your bacon. Lift it up. Oh, yeah, look, there it is. And your toast. There's toast. So just just yeah. to give some background here, the lava lamp is a de- decorative lamp invented in 1963 by British oh, entrepreneur Edward Craven Walker. Right. Still. So, well, still it, had been, it was a product of that well, decade. Right, but still relatively new. A lot of people may not have seen it on TV. It's, it's better than them, them having a lot of pet rocks around. Yes, there is that. Pet rovers. It's, this one has one of my all-time favorite speeches as well. I love the, I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. I, I thought you said that. I did say that, but I ripped it off him. Oh. Mm-hmm. See, I heard it from you first. And I the love... irony, the irony that they did all those things to him. Yep. Yeah. But that's what he's constantly rebelling against. The idea that everything is known about us all the time. It's arguably more prescient than we I, I, yeah, were given it. I was going to say, if you, so looking back at this show then and the life we live now, are we even now more in the village than ever? For six. Yep. It's interesting, isn't it? I love the helicopter shots. Angelo Muscat, who is the butler, is the only other person to appear in, I want to say, every episode, but I won't testify to it. Yeah. He may not be in every episode, but he's the only other essentially regular character. So I guess now it's worth mentioning, uh, you know, number two. Uh, you know, Ooh, I, I, did, I did find it. I did find it interesting, uh, you know, or very interesting, and, and something that I, I, you know, I have the slight spoiler of knowing that this is going to be a continued thing. Uh, that number two is not a uh, steady position. So in my mind, it's similar to. Uh, you know, in Inspector, when uh, somebody fails and they get rid of him, uh, and they just immediately replace him with a new number <clears> two. Uh, but I don't know that that's the case here. I, I, you know, I don't know if it's that, or if they're trying to keep number six off balance, or exactly why number two is is a changing party in this thing. Uh, but I do find that to be very interesting, and you know, it. It has the risk of being the people who come out the window while Batman and Robin are scaling the building and, and be, you know, just kind of silly. Uh, but I'm hoping it's not. I, you know, I, I mean, some I will, are better than others, obviously. Yes. There, there's no... Uh, I wouldn't say there's quote-unquote stunt casting for number twos. At least no. 
yeah, it's always a feeling that it's it's it is a little bit special guest villain of the week. Yes. But at the same time, they're always exceptionally good actors that you will yes. recognize from something else. Like Guy Dolman. It's funny you mentioned James Bond. He's in Thunderball. Mm-hmm. So it was quite nice to see him around. And halfway through the episode, number two changes to George Baker. Who was... Uh... Inspector Wexford is what we probably know him best for. Mm. Well, the original number two, he says a line to number six, you'll be the death of me. Yes, you'll be the death of me. So one of the things I had wanted to bring up was um, maybe as a recurring thing is like who if we were if the show was around today, who would we cast for number two in this episode? Who? Does number two work for? Who does number two work for? That's right, buddy. You show that turn who's boss. While I was watching last night, some of the things I thought of, which I I, I hate to pull this card so early, and it's kind of obvious. Um, one, I had thought Pierce Brosnan might make a good... Oh, I was going Timothy Dalton. <laughs> Interesting. I, we both went for bonds. Do we do we feel compelled that we have to go with British? No, 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 no because later I have uh, two definite non. Uh, I, I have in mind two definite non-British actors. Although they may have, you know, what would be interesting then if in this one it's Timothy Dalton and then Pierce Brosnan. Ooh, I like that. Because there are two number That's two's definitely in stunt casting, though. It is, that's true. Yeah. yeah, but still. I feel like I have a lazy person for this one. Uh, I went with Idris Elba. Ooh. Oh, Idris would be a good number two, yeah. Another possible Bond. Well, we'll see. I think he's, I think he's still too old now. I think the boat has sailed on Idris Elba, mm. to be honest. I still want Aidan Turner. He's still my favourite. I don't know who he is. He's Paul Dark. I still don't know who Oh, you know, look him up. He's my choice. Why do I That's know the name? Why do I know the name Paul Duck? I can't. He's an investigator. It's, it's, right. it's a famous. No, no, it's a famous series of books. He fought in the Civil War. He fought in the American Civil War. Uh, and he then comes back home. Old. And he... no, with the character. Oh, Paul Duck, <laughs> the actor. And he comes back home to Cornwall and he starts rebuilding his life in Cornwall. And that's essentially what the show's about. But he he would be perfect as James Bond. Mm. Which, means he, will not, which were, means he will not get the part. Which means he will not get cast. No, he will not be cast. So, yeah, I, that's interesting that we both went for former Bonds. Mm. I would have gone with Benedict Cumberbatch. See, I, I'm leaning towards Cumberbatch for six if they did this today. Oh, you know, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't thought of that. I, you I, need something I, you can do always angry. Mm-hmm. And there's Patrick McGowan and there's Edward Woodward. And neither of them are no longer with us. Edward Wood. Oh, that's right. Edward Woodward obviously would have been too old, but he could have fit what I saw. He could have done number what two. I saw in this episode, he could have done. He would have been a good number two at the time, yeah. What do you think of the music? What do you think of the... Um, well, that, 
Oh yeah, the, 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 the. it felt to me a little bit almost like it didn't belong, which kind of added to the discomfort of being in this village. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the point. Yeah. Well, and if you look, the people that are playing the music, they always all don't look very happy. Sometimes. Well, I would imagine that like there would be people who have accepted that they can't escape the stuckier, and as much as they've got given every comfort, they may not be happy about it. Yeah, they're just kind of like resigned to their yeah. life. Yeah, I mean, how many of us just accept things because it's just the way it is? Well, you so me, the... you give me everything I want and don't make me work for it. I'm going to be happy. <laughs> Well, that's that's the point, isn't it? They, they're not work. Well, some people clearly do work because there's a credit system in place. And the labor bureau. Yeah. So there must be some kind of you must you must be expected to get some form of job. Although six never does, to be fair. So Andy, maybe this will be another thing. I have a question for you. I did some research. Because I was curious. And are you familiar? She's uncredited with the woman who is the voice operator and the announcer in the village. I'm looking in the cast list. Fenella Fielding? Yes. Yes! What is her connection? This is my question. Well, this would be my second question. What is her connection to the to the group New Order and the song Blue Monday? She's the voice of the opening, is she? Nope. Well, that's close. That's what I would have thought, too. She did a cover album, and she covered... <laughs> she covered Blue Monday? Yes. <laughs> she made an album of cover songs, including Robbie Williams, Kylie Minogue, and uh, New Order. And the White Stripes. And at 90 years old, she's still alive. Uh, oh, no, she's not. I was going to say, no, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, it's because they didn't have a, I'm just Googling it, didn't have a yeah. date of death. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank she, though. Impressive. Yep. And you will hear her, I think, pretty much in most likely every episode. Not sure about maybe three of them, the last two and another one. Yeah, yeah. I think she's in pretty much all of the ones where there's a, a Tadoy announcement. She's but an I, angel Barrett of prisoner. Yes, but I still, she's so, there's something about her voice. Now, I've never seen her in any of her, her actual acting roles. Uh, the Carry On films, that's a, I'm sure that's more of a British thing. Oh, God, yeah, they were on every bank holiday. Yeah. So. Uh, the, the first appearance of Rover in the village is great, because even the fountain stops. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stop. Don't move. Yeah. And they, they catch the guy who's up to something. Chase never down quite Waldo. find out what he, he's up to, yeah. Where's Waldo? Rover's got him. <laughs> yeah. And it's in this scene that you see the, the guys who drive the hearse. Ah. They're wandering around the, the little pond in the middle. So I guess we should jump ahead. Uh, you guys have any other questions or things you want to bring up? Uh, I, have, I have a billion questions, but I'm holding them back. I'm going to wait. Okay. I have one question I want to throw out. Yes. They refer to the incident that pushes him over the edge with Chambers. Is Chambers? He goes to meet some agent Chambers and he never shows up. Is that going to play out? No. Nope. Uh, 
Not that I remember. Okay, that's it. No, there's nothing like that in it. But he does meet a former agent when he later uh, is taken. Oh no, we jumped ahead too far. Uh, no, there's no, you don't have to. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, but I wanted to touch on when he goes back uh, when he yells at the maid, and um, uh, who's if you notice the maid had sixty six on her thing, and later the admiral will have sixty six, so they duplicated a number by accident in this episode. Yeah. Um, but um, maybe she got fired. Yeah, maybe that whole scene when he's in his uh, in his flat. And uh, I wish I had a wall that just rolled up so I could go back to, you know, back to sleep if I want to. Oh, and another little goof is that when you look at his house from the outside and you look at the size on the inside, he's living in a TARDIS. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been in I've been in that house. It is literally three paces from front to back. <laughs> so. So, yeah, that's that that's a little. Uh, but, you know, yeah, suspension of disbelief. Let it go. But I love the radio. That the radio gets louder and louder. Got Wi-Fi, <laughs> obviously, because he's <laughs> yeah. But it, he, it's also must be being piped directly into his head because he smashes it and it's still playing somewhere. Still here, yeah. He's like, "How do you shut it off?" <laughs> He's like, "You can't." And then the uh, the electrician comes around to fix it, and I love his face later when he runs into the exact same guy. You know, obviously it's the same actor, but he's now the gardener. And he's like, yeah. wait, what? What? Careful, sir. New plants. Mm. He's like, <laughs> cloning has been perfected. Have they done that in the village? Yeah. You know, there's always a possibility. Uh, the middle bit where he's been, he goes into number two's room and the guy's got the big device he wants him to play with. That's Christopher Benjamin, who's well known to Doctor Who fans. Yes, he was. Uh, he's Sir Keith Gold in Inferno. He's Henry Jago in the Towns of Wing Cheyenne. Yeah. And, and he's in the Lion and the, he's in the Unicorn Moth, the Wasp and the Unicorn Moth, the David Tennant. And and no, I didn't just read that off of. Which you know all that shit. Yeah, because he. Uh, yeah, so he's a he's a face. I think we'll see him in another episode, possibly. Quick guest appearance. I can't remember. We may do. I can't remember. It's another episode. And the guy that he meets in the hospital is Paul Eddington. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with Paul Eddington was the star of popular 70s slash 80s sitcom Yes Minister, which became Yes Prime Minister when he became Prime Minister. Hmm. Wait, the actor or the character? The character. (laughs) I was like, hey, I don't remember anybody. Not in real life. Oh, okay. Sorry. That only happens here. Yes. What are you talking <laughs> about? <laughs> uh, he's oh, isn't he? Isn't Paul Edison the good life? Mm. I'm sure Paul Edison's the good life. I don't know. This isn't a Paul Edison podcast. It is not a Paul Edison podcast. But we do have a lot of good uh, guest stars this this episode. I love that they, they sit around in the control room watching episodes of The Prisoner. <laughs> sorry did you know did you know in the movie the matrix when they're running through the um 
this was a little tri- trivia thing that I found. This episode, when they're going through the apartments, the old ladies that are watching TV are watching Arrival on the TV. Are they? Yes. I did not know that, no. I was disappointed when I was actually in Port Marion that when you do go and tromp around the woods, which you can, it does not have the moving statues with the cameras in. With the flashing <laughs> eyes. For I was very disappointed about that, yeah. God, those, cat, those those statues were creepy. Yeah. Especially when they rotate and follow you. What very, was very. Thinking? What was he thinking? So, yeah, so they need what? And then he, this is where he gets his, uh, tries running over Rover. It's a balloon, dummy. Hmm. <laughs> Steals the car, runs out on the beach, gets knocked yellow, out. Yellow alert. Orange alert. What's Orange red alert? alert? A nuclear attack? Number six in the beach area, blah, blah, blah. And that is, uh, oh, I can't remember the guy that is the the operator. He's seen a lot. Yeah, the operator of the uh, the the theater where they watch where they're up to for watching yeah. people at stake. He's in quite a few episodes as well. Which, I don't think he's in quite as many as the butler. Which, that set is like the control room, number two. That's the same set. They just changed the Yeah, intro. they just redress it, yeah. Yeah. They go for a nice run across the beach where they're chased by the mini moke. My favorite memory of this beach is me walking down there with my dad and my then five or six year old sister. And the tide has come in a little bit. So the water's all wet and she's walking along in front of us and she literally disappears before our eyes because there's lots of little inlets in the in the sand. And she disappears under the water. My God. And a guy who just happened to be standing next to us just a bit in front of us just fished her out. And I will never forget her face. <laughs> Completely unexpected. But the beach is, uh, the beach is, it's quite a lovely little beach, actually, but it's really not that far away from the village. It's literally <laughs> down a set of stairs and you're there. The stone boat is real. Mm. And where the stone boat is now, I think I've mentioned to you guys before the blue plaque thing. There is a blue plaque for Patrick McGowan down near the stone boat. Oh. Uh, in the hospital, after he wakes up from his uh, sojourn onto the beach, uh, we see the group therapy. <laughs> yeah, I love the guy that he looks at it in the window. The guy is just sat there going, oh! <laughs> well, that's, well, that's weird because first, all those group therapy people are in that same room. And then when he comes back by, the guy, <laughs> and there's that egg floating. Now, is that a baby rover? Is that an egg? What is that? It's like floating on top of the water. Oh, God, that is a, that is a freaky scene. It reminded me of the watcher from Fringe. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. Yes. I. You know what? I didn't make that connection. So there is an implication there that if they don't, you don't do what they say, they will like lobotomize you. <laughs> yeah, and that's where I he wouldn't... meets his old associate Cobb. Yeah, and it's the first indication you get that you know not everyone is to be trusted. Yeah, and then he uh, he Cobb commits suicide and jumps out the window. Allegedly. Kind of. Allegedly. Then he gets better. Yes, I got better, which is always nice. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> and then uh, we see his funeral. Um, number six notices. Uh, well, well, yeah, we'll call him the number six. But but by now he's because when he left the hospital he was given his his fancy new suit and his little number. 
which he quickly yeah, takes which off. He, he quickly takes <laughs> off. Yeah. Right. So I guess at this point it's time to say what we where we rank this episode now, because of the whole situation with newbies and all of that. Should we? Should should Dave and I go first? Because you guys have a bit more insight. Should we make that the kind of the standard? Yeah, go on. Okay, so for me, I'm going to jump right in and say uh, I found this to be... I, I was going to use the word riveting. I don't know if it was riveting. Uh, I think that would be mischaracterizing it. I found it to be somewhat immersive. I think that's a better way to put it. Uh, where where I kind of felt like like I was in this village walking around and getting frustrated. Uh, it did what I think it should in that it it was it frustrated me, but not to the point where I don't want to watch it anymore. I want to see where this is going to go, and I want to see how he's going to handle things. And and actually, I'm really curious to see what they're going to do to try and control him. Uh, so. <laughs> it, it served its purposes very much as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it wasn't, you know, the, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. I could see where certain people might watch this and, and be a little frustrated by it and, and say, you know what, it's not for me. Uh, but I would say it is for me. So on, on a scale of one to five, I'm giving it a 3.5. I'm going to say it's certainly well above average, uh, but it's not at that elite level. I found it to be intriguing, and I'm very, very curious to see where it goes. Um, I like uh, I like that a couple of the tropes, either it picked up from other things or things I'm sure picked up for this. We didn't really discuss it, but the whole he tries to make an escape with the helicopter, and he thinks he's getting away, and number they're controlling it and bring it right back. I got that vibe from you only for your eyes only, which I'm sure they ripped off from this with Bond in the helicopter. But uh, it's an intriguing program. I can't wait to see where this goes. Uh, I give I'm with Paul. I give it a three point five. Andy, uh, I'm, I think it's a great opening episode. I'm going five. Or are we going out of six for this one? Oh yes, yes, yes. We need to change our scale to six. So, All right, so if we're going to change, if we're going to change it to six, then then Dave and I have to be given a chance to to, to change our numbers because it's not a three point five out of six. It's it's either I'm writing down the numbers, Paul. It's either a four or a four point five, and I'm going to say four point five. I'm going to go with four point five out of six. And Andy, you, uh, you're giving okay. it a five out of six, Andy. No, I'm giving it a six. Okay, you're giving it a six, and where are you going, Dave? I'm going to go with a five out of six. All right, I will give it uh, six smashed radios out of six. Ooh, so I was the low right. on this one, and I and I liked okay. it a lot. <laughs> we got we got the notch. We know where right. things go. So that's what we thought of this episode. But what did Blaine say? I don't know if Blaine has a number. <laughs> well, on this one, Blaine is one point oh one. Because that's what his email is, is, is listed as. Oh, okay. uh, Blaine says, Hi, guys. The Prisoner is one of those shows that people keep telling me I should watch. I saw it on sale for just under $10 once on iTunes and grabbed the entire thing, but just never seemed to get around to watching it. Thanks for finally giving me the excuse. This was a heck of a pilot episode. 
The memorable theme is by the same Ron Grainer, who wrote the classic Doctor Who theme, and the star and driving creative force is Patrick McGowan, who I largely know from Columbo. He appeared in four of those and directed five, with only three episodes on both lists, and this is the series that got him on Columbo. Peter Falk talked about it in Just One More Thing, his autobiography. Not only was McGowan wonderful to work with as a creative human being, but he had multiple talents for acting, writing, and directing. Falk and the other producers soon learned that when they had a weak script and not enough money left to pay for a rewrite, they could just hire McGowan to direct and he'd fix the script for free because he couldn't stand working with substandard material. This shows that same exacting attitude. The editing and costume design are a bit dated, not bad, just most definitely a product of the late 1960s. The only thing that feels a little hard to get past at this point is the visual effects on the bouncing balloon that is the main threat so far. I'll be interested in seeing how that plays out in the long run. Still, a pilot episode for a show that uses serialized storytelling has two jobs. One, make me want to come back for more, which is the job of every pilot. And two, give me material to work with for water cooler talk speculating where things will be going next. Is this really his own government? With the French and German greetings at the end, is it even a single government or any government? I'm not going to list all of my questions here, because that would just be 20 minutes of questions without answers. But I'm looking forward to seeing which are answered and which are not along the way. I've tried to avoid spoilers, but I've been led to believe that the series ended before McGowan wanted it to end, so I don't know how much closure will be provided. Still, at this point, I am well hooked. Yeah, I think Blaine is kind of on board with exactly what we were saying about it, you know, going into this, including the uh, balloon special effects. <laughs> well, Blaine is also, uh, but yeah, if you look up, like we said, the uh, the other attempt would have, I think, would have been, uh, to me, the balloon is timeless because it's so simple yeah, compared well, maybe, to what they were going to go Maybe as it goes for. on, I will become a yeah. little bit more uh, enamored with the balloon. But for now, I'm kind of with the um, yeah, so Blaine is with you guys on this one. He has not seen it. So yeah, yeah so we have there will another be... newbie giving his opinion. And, and, and what I like to do with Blaine is I like to not read his opinion until we're, do, until we're recording. Okay. So, so we've already given our numbers before I even know what Blaine thinks. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a, you know, I, I don't want him to influence our opinions either. Uh, so this, this, this works out well. Uh, but I guess that's it for this time. The question is, what are we doing next time well before we get to that ah. did you uh did you gents have any other questions that perhaps uh you didn't get a chance to ask nothing that i want to ask yet i think as the series goes on i want to see how it how it unfolds a little bit and and i think you know there, there i have a lot of questions about where this is going to go but i want to see how much they give me okay dave well i like to ask questions and, and don't answer if it's going to spoil anything. Oh, no, 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 logo, no. The whole logo of the bicycle, I'm trying to figure out why it's a bicycle, an, an old-time bicycle. Uh, okay. I'll, uh... Take it under advisement? Yes. <laughs> I, because I remember some things, but uh, I, don't, I don't want to say anything just yet. Fair so, enough. Yes. So with that, um, we're going to do things a little out of order. I think we mentioned it earlier in the show. So for when we next visit the village, 
Yes. We will not be going to the chimes of Big Ben. Now, this is I'm the one that's kind of driving this only because when I originally saw this, I saw it in a specific order that is that has been uh, endorsed at one time by Patrick McGowan as a viewing order. But then if you look later, Patrick McGowan says only seven episodes are even, um, you know, actually essential. Well, then why did you make 17? <laughs> Probably because you need to fill out a season. But uh, so the next episode that we will be seeing is Dance of the Dead. And this is in the KTEH uh, San Jose, California PBS channel viewing order that was originated by Scott Appel, who was a San Jose movie critic, TV critic at the time. So listing and, uh, listing the uh, you know the Wikipedia episodes, that would be actually the eighth one on their list. Correct. Yes. Okay. That is so the next eighth time around, Eric. we'll be doing the Dance of the Dead. Dance of the Dead. And again, a lot of that is because they put them together in that order because it tells a more constructive narrative about the village and how things operate and makes at the time with the person that did it it made more sense chronologically with how things happen in the village but people should know we're going to hit everyone oh yes I'm yes no no no, no. And zipping through yeah yeah no 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 so dance of the dead is next and uh we will be seeing you all right and uh i'm looking forward to it bye-bye everybody and bye Bye, and make sure you walk on the grass. <laughs> yes, those walk on the grass signs were funny. Who are you? The village people. Who are the supervisor, Paul Spataro. The chess master, Dave Pascarella. Rover, Dr. Bill Robinson. And Andrew Leyland as the butler. Village people investigating the prisoner.